Welcome to the 200th episode of the Lucas Crowbot Show, where today we're going to be talking about the same thing that we have been talking about for the last 200 episodes. That's right. It's how do we understand the world that we are living in, our inner and outer, our inner relationship, our geopolitical world. How do we understand it, our worldview? Why? So that you and I might be able to own our futures. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. This show is all about understanding our worlds, not just our geopolitical world, not just our, our well, this really is our worldview, but it's understanding how our lives ought to be ordered, how to have healthy and whole relationships, how to understand the, the highly complex systems that are happening in the world. Why? So that we can exercise the agency that we've been given so that we can really shape the future for the better. Because you and I, we want to leave an impact. We want to live out our purpose in the earth. We want to fulfill our destinies. Do we not? But there are some things that they often hold us up from achieving that. Finances, relationship issues, sometimes health issues. Sometimes people are just mean. I mean, there are a lot of mean people in the world. Anyone who thinks that humanity is basically good just needs to spend, you know, a good half hour with the toddler and realize that mm, her humanity is basically selfish. There's a lot of selfish people in the world. We, we have problems like self-doubt depression, anxiety, lack of purpose, meaning, feeling stuck, nihilism, confusion, wondering if we're doing enough, wonder if we we are enough, are we being enough? Questions like, is there a God? How should society function? How should society be fit together? What is the meaning and purpose of life? What is truth? Is there truth? Can we even know how we ought to view the world? Can we even know what is right or is it all relative. Well, as I said, we have been having this conversation since episode one. And in episode one, I interviewed Dr. Michael Wesch. And here's a clip from that episode. The main questions that have driven me my entire life and that drive most of the people around me and that drive my students are not the same questions that are driving, say, my friends in New Guinea or other people around the world. And those questions are, who am I? What am I going to do? am I going to make it? So the, the, those three questions represent like three really big domains of life, like the domain of identity, like, like, who am I? Like, what do I stand for? Uh, that kind of thing. What, and the second one is more about occupation and, and actually making a living, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, which can also have a moral dimension, of course. And then the third one, uh, am I going to make it is this constant concern of risk and doubt that permeates um, our worlds. And so I would, I, I bet it's really hard to find anybody in, well, we'll start with Western society for now. Like, I bet it would be hard to find anybody in Western society who isn't asking those questions. And we started off asking this very question, episode one. It's, it's interesting, when you, when you start something and you, you begin a project, oftentimes we don't realize that the seed, the idea, 
that launched this a project, whether it's this project, the show, or maybe a project that you're doing, oftentimes that idea that birthed it, that launched it, it actually finds its way many iterations down the line. And we are 200 episodes in over the last two and a half years. And I, today, as I was thinking about, man, 200 episodes, what does the show become? What is it about? And I realized we are, are still talking about the very same premise, maybe a different shade, maybe it's turned a little bit, maybe it's developed a little bit more. It's, it's matured from just this, this germinating seed to growing into more complex ideas, looking at different uh, verticals and avenues of life, but it's still the same questions. Who are we? What are we going to do? And are we going to make it? Now, there's the underlying thing in there that we have been dealing with within this generation in the last 150 years since we've been beginning to ask that question. It really comes back down to what is my purpose and can I achieve that in the world? How am I going to live in this complex world? And as I said, are we going to make it? But with that is this underlying idea of transcendentalism, this idea of wanting to achieve our destiny, this idea of wanting to change the world. And that is a luxury that we shouldn't take lightly because what that really means is that a lot of our basic needs in life have been met. We're not asking questions of, you know, how am I going to eat today? We're not wondering, you know, am I going to get robbed on my three-hour hike to get water? And when I do get water, is it going to be clean or am I going to get sick? We're not asking these questions. A lot of these needs are met, which allows us to begin to ask deeper and bigger questions, but also can lead to this trap of this idea that we all want to change or all should change the world. And it's a trap because we can get stuck in it and it can cause us to feel paralyzed. It can cause us to feel like we're not doing an enough. But we didn't begin this show as much as talking about how do we understand the world. We kind of skipped over that initial premise. And we launched straight into, you are a change maker. You should go out and change the world without realizing that if we don't understand the world that we are in, we could fall prey to actually changing the world for the worse. Just because we have good intentions, just because we want to do good, we want to do things that make us and other people feel good. That doesn't actually mean we will have a positive impact on the world. In fact, it's probably more likely we're going to have a negative impact on the world. Why do I say that? It sounds extremely pessimistic. But look look at our lives. Oftentimes, we have a hard enough time taking care of and managing our own life. Oftentimes, we think we have brilliant ideas, but then the play out of those ideas don't go the way that we think. But we are, in many ways, influencers. And we've talked about this way back on episode 14, where our words have powers and able to shape people's worlds for the better or the worse, depending on what we say, depending on the grace that is seasoning 
our speech. So we have these micro transactions that we make every day when we talk to people from how we spend our time to the jobs that we do, the, the, the products we create, the products we consume. And all of those really tiny micro transactions do make up the fabric of society and essentially will be transmitted down to our children and our grandchildren to varying degrees because there's many other things that are impacting one of another in culture. So our impact on the, the micro level, especially within our, in our sphere and realm of society, we can really see that tangibly. I can see that in my kids on a day-in, day-out basis. We can see that in the social sciences, knowing that if we give our kids a stable life from the ages of one to five, they are much more likely to be successful when they grow up. But when it comes to the macro level of massive systems, whether they're governmental or the ecosystem or business, economics, uh, the media and entertainment center, we're, most of us, we're not going to have this massive reformation, reforming impact on those systems. And when it comes to reforming those systems and making the world a quote-unquote better place, actually we should be a little hesitant because myself, myself is included in this. We actually have very little, I have very little understanding of how these massive complex systems work within the world. Just take a simple example, micro and macroeconomics. Now, unless you have studied those and you are in the world of economics every day, you probably don't know very much about how the resources of the world flow back and forth, how income and wealth is created, how banks use leverage, how, how bonds are packaged together. We, I don't feel like I know all that information very well. So, it would be foolish of me to, as I'm living on this incredible grid that where I have, I have a phone, I, I'm able to talk to you, you're able to listen to this, we have electricity, we have flowing water in our house. It would be foolish of me to wake up one day and say, hmm, you know what? I think we need to reform and just totally tear down this system of thought that has been built upon for thousands of years, systems, highly complex systems that have been built for thousands of years, we should just do away with it because I have a better idea. I have something that I think seems more fair or more equitable. It seems kinder than the system that we live on today. And we don't realize that we can actually be cutting off the very thing that is giving us life because there's these huge invisible systems around us. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we have this generation that has most of their basic needs on Maslow's pyramid met. So we're striving for this transcendental enlightenment purpose. We're straining to achieve the vision and destiny of our lives like like little demigods on earth wanting to change and recreate the world and re-envision the world in something that is more just and more fair and more kind. 
And I, I'm included in that. I want to see a, a more just, more fair, and more kind world. But we start to adopt these ideas, and that we're seeing this across the globe today, not just in, in Western society, but we're seeing these thoughts permeate throughout North Africa, even Tunisia this week. We see it in, in South America. We see it happening in Russia right now. Ideas like eat the rich or the stock market is bad, capitalism is evil, defund the police. And we begin to grab onto these ideas that feel good. And we begin to push to change the world with these ideas that feel good, not realizing that they could very well destroy the very worlds that we live in that enable us to say, let's change everything. Because these systems that we live in have empowered us to such a point that we're able to actually have enough leisure time to think about the world around us. Now, I, I want to fulfill my destiny. I want you to fulfill your destiny, your dreams that were placed in your heart, probably dreams that you've been dreaming about since the age of seven, eight, of what you were born to do. Tell me, what happens when we finally find ourselves in that place where we have the power, we have the authority, we have the influence to change the world, but we've never actually developed a worldview that is productive and healthy and bearing good fruit doing good, not just feeling good, not just having ideas that warm our hearts, but actually doing good in the earth. Because there are many people who, when they're young, we adopt these ideas that makes, makes us feel good, makes us feel kind and genuine. But when they're actually implemented in the world, they fail. But if we don't have the humility to take a step back and evaluate these ideas for what they are and say, okay, maybe this isn't the greatest idea, then we'll begin to implement those and we, will, we won't budge off of those. Here's Dr. Stephen Hicks explaining how this phenomenon happens all the time in academia. Another thing that we do know is that uh, people, when they come across a, a worldview that seems to have a lot of explanations to them, and it has a normative component. It's got a, a sense of what's right and wrong about it and what's important and noble and beautiful. Those things also push our buttons very deeply. And people make commitments mm. to a worldview with a normative component. And one thing that can happen is, and it happens unfortunately with a lot of people, is uh, people make a commitment to a worldview. And at that point, no matter what new evidence comes along and no matter what new arguments come along, they are never open to changing their minds about anything important in that worldview. And that's true of, of intellectuals. Now, partly this is you know, a matter of professional standing. So I might, you know, if I'm a young professor, write a book or two or some articles in my, in my early 30s. You know, so I went and I got my PhD by the time I was in my late 20s. I'm establishing my career and I'm getting some books and articles out. But now my public reputation is tied to the positions that I took in those wow. books. Yeah. And for the rest of my career, it's a matter of 
protecting my babies, right, so to speak. And, and there, we really are like mothers protecting our, our babies. So the idea, and this is an enormous act of courage and intellectual re- responsibility and honesty, if I am now in 45, I do a serious rethinking of my younger work, and I have read more data and counter arguments and so on for me to say, you know, I got some fundamental things wrong. I need to rethink everything through, Mm. which is exactly what intellectuals should be doing. That's a very high bar and only few intellectuals will actually rise to it. We want to be those people who rise to that bar and we need to be people who start now, people who start now to, to seek out the right way of viewing the world, seek out the, what are the cause and effects? Okay. So when we adopt an idea, what, what happens when we implement that idea? What happens in society? What has happened in history when these ideas have been implemented? What, what happens within families and to the, the fabric of society when we implement certain ideas? How, and, and we can find this out. We can, we can actually take time and find this out. And if we do, if we form our minds to have a, a view of the world that is correct and healthy, we will actually bear a healthy environment because one day I know and I believe that you will find yourself in a position of authority or lawmaking or influence that will you'll be able to mold culture. Who will you be at that moment? Because once you are placed in that position, it is too late. It is too late to try to change or update or quickly go and understand the world around you in a better way. And what happens if the ideas that you begin to implement are bad ideas? You know, as, as I grow older, I find it increasingly hard. When I was young, I thought, you know, we can, it's really easy to, to change the world. But as I grow older, I find, and I believe that it's seeing reform within society is extremely difficult and it requires an incredible amount of of commitment and resilience throughout decades and we have to be satisfied in many ways with seeing reform first in our own life seeing and being able to manage our own personal lives first our own uh, relationships first, our own emotions, our own inner world first, our own house, our relationships, our our kids and our families. Because if we can't control the things that we are in control over, which is ourself, how on earth do we think that we can control other people? It first comes back down to mastering ourselves, mastering our personal world mastering and and enriching our families and relationships around us because if we can't do that then what why on earth why on earth you and i think it would be very presumptuous to think that we could make the world a better place if we have a hard time making our family and our relationships a better place so it all begins it all begins with understanding the world rightly because contrary to popular opinion not all roads lead to the same place there is a right and there is wrong and different ideas have 
different consequences. Different social structures will produce different qualities of life. Some for the better and some for the worse. Here is Dr. Stephen Hicks again with another clip from a previous episode. But, you know, the example I like to, to give here is the example of Botswana, if we're going to focus on Africa, for example. So I like to, to look at Botswana, which is a landlocked Southern African nation, mm-hmm. and uh, its neighbor, uh, uh, Zimbabwe, another uh, landlocked Southern African nation. And uh, both of them were uh, colonies right, uh, of the British right, up until the 1960s or so. Uh, both of them similar histories, tribal mix of uh, natural resources. Actually, the Zimbabweans have slightly better natural resources. Zimb- uh, Botswana is mostly Kalahari Desert. Uh, if you look at the if you look at the geography, but both of them achieved independence right from the British. So everything then is pretty much the same. Same history, same mix of tribes, religions, natural resources, colonial history, and so forth. Both achieve independence. What the Zimbabweans decide at that point is we are going to effectively stop doing everything that the British wanted us to do, and we're going to import a different ideology. Mm. So uh, long story short, they decided that they were going to become Germans of a certain sort and become Marxist revolutionaries. And so they they, they, uh, became a, a kind of communist socialist state. But what the Botswanans did was to say after they got rid of the British, just to say, we think the British institutions are common law, education, markets, and so forth, pretty good. And we're going to take ownership of them and be self-ruling and so on. And we're going to continue in effect to do things the British way. So what we have is almost a perfect social science experiment where one country says, we're going to use British institutions. The other says we're going to use imported German institutions. And uh, Zimbabwe became a basket case and Botswana became one of the richest, if not the richest, Southern African nation. And my understanding is if you look at the current numbers, the average Botswanan right now is about eight times as rich as the average Zimbabwean and lives more than 12 years longer than the average Zimbabwean does. That is an amazing, an amazing difference and and, and picture of how two different ideas will produce two different results. We, We need to know how to understand the world around us. In order for us to know our purpose in the earth, we have to understand the world first. And and with that, so it comes from understanding, understanding the world. Then it comes from disciplining ourselves so that we live in a manner in which we ought to live, living up to these ideals that we have, not being hypocritical or arrogant or prideful. And then doing the good that we can in our sphere of influence around us and preparing diligently decade after decade, not just week after week or year after year, but decade after decade for the time in our life when we are placed in a position of maybe greater influence and authority. Because there was someone who was in position over Botswana and Zimbabwe 
maybe it wasn't the actual king, but there was an advisor to the king. There was a, a, a chairman. There was a husband, a wife. There was an uncle who, who had the ear of someone, and they were able to give good advice or bad advice, depending on whether it's Botswana or Zimbabwe. They were able to lead the country into a place of prosperity or into a place of chaos and poverty. And there might be a day when you and I have that same opportunity as well. Maybe not for an entire nation state, but maybe for a small community, maybe for an art community, maybe for a bunch of architects who you love and care about and you're able to bring uh, something to the table, a truth to the table that enriches the lives of everyone there because you took the time to understand the world. And that is the, the goal of this show. Maybe the vernacular has changed over the years, but the goal has been and will continue to be, how do we own the future? How do we own the future? How do we own our, our families? How do we take responsibility for our personal lives? How do, we, how do we shape the world around us? Well, it comes back to the simple truth that the, the way that we view the world, our worldview, will dictate the world that we end up living in. Don't go away. We will be right back with our closing segment from Weaver and Loom. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a segment of the show where we take ancient quotes, ancient wisdom, and we weave it into our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. Today's quote goes right along with what we have been talking about today. The quote is this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. It's good old King James version of Proverbs 23 verse 7 penned by the one and only prophet uh, Suleiman, prophet Solomon, King Solomon. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. I think about this quote often. I've probably mentioned it here multiple times on the show because it is a it is a powerful truth, a powerful truth that our thoughts shape our words, shape our emotions, and that shapes our actions and out of our actions, out of the the things that we do in the natural realm it will spill over to everything else. Because at first, when we, it, it's not just enough to think in our hearts or to think in our mind. It's not just enough to, to have a good idea or have an intention, but we must act on that intention. We must act on the things that we believe that we're convicted of. We must act. If we believe that we need to be kind or have, have words that are filled with grace grace and patience, or if we believe that we ought to go and learn a specific craft or skill so that we can, can become the, the world's greatest woodworker, if we believe that we need to work on our marriage and we think that in our hearts, then we need to act on it. 
if we think those things, if we think it, then we must act on it. We must take action. And so that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here with me for 200 episodes, 200 episodes of the show. Speaking of taking action, my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop Drifting, is all a book about taking action. I wrote this book in a time where I felt like I was never doing enough. I was never doing enough. I was always spinning my wheel, always feeling like I was drowning and never feeling like I was reaching my goals, my destiny, and my purpose. And I wrote this book as a manifesto to myself, and I think about these ideas on a daily basis, and it it helps me move forward in my life with peace and certainty and assurance. So please check out my book, and if you have a question, you can ask me, and I'll answer it right here on the show, and if you ask a question, you can text me at uh, WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. And if you ask a question, I will send you free stickers. So can't beat that free stickers to plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. Remember, you are someone who goes out and understands the world so that you can own your future. <laughs>